Live from Derbyshire, this is The Sunday Lunch Show with Brent Poland, and you are listening live. Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. It's all about trying to remember how to do everything, isn't it? After the first, the first show back after the uh, new year. Happy New Year to everybody! Um, it's me, um, Adam Spence, uh, with Brent Poland today. How are you doing as you start the new year, Brent? Well, I'm absolutely soaked. I had to run my daughter out to a play date, and it, it was um, absolutely um, bucketing down. And I know the sun's split the three, so yeah, I'm okay. I'm quite a little wet. I, I chose to wear a pair of flip flops. I don't know why I chose to wear a pair of flip flops when I walked out the door, but hey. Planning is not one of the, always yeah. one of my store, strong points. Yeah, well, I've been back a week, nearly. I've, I've, I've done kind of, I was back Tuesday, um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So uh, all that um, all that relaxation has been lost. I feel tired already. It's so straight in. You were back when I was off this week. So yeah. I had the, the back end, because I'm back tomorrow. Yeah. Um, was for, and I'm having the, the Sunday pre-dreads going back to school okay. already. you got the shakes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you, you always have that, don't you, when you go back to school, you think it's like, it's worse with the six-week term, isn't it? Because you're always thinking, I've lost my ability to, to speak to the kids. Uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, everything comes at you so fast. Maybe it's my age, but I reach that point where I get overloaded and I almost think, just let me get back into the classroom mm. and do the thing I'm doing. No new ideas, no new initiatives. No, I've got, I've got this, I've got that, the other. I think I've, the last Christmases we've always come back into a kind of um, storm. I, you yeah. know, obviously with the pandemic and everything else, but we didn't really have the most restful Christmases. So this is for me has been the probably most restful Christmas I've had in a couple of years because we've had a, a good break, and I think we a lot of you know a lot of us were crawling over the line come yeah. come December. And yes, we're seeing an increase in, you know, the, the flu, the scarlet fever, the, the COVID situation starting to rear its head again. And of course, we've got the looming strikes coming up. So education seems to be back in the agenda. It seems to be back in flavour, politically speaking. And it means that, you know, we are back in, in the public limelight. You know, and, and obviously the NHS crisis fuels, filters into to education. And I think as much as we've had a break, it will not take us long within a couple of days we're back into the kind yeah, of like when's the next after yeah that's right i mean a lot of my colleagues just went uh, almost like immediately to bed which is really frustrating kind of for them and they didn't i know one of them p teach they work with kind of didn't wake up until kind of boxing day it was that it was that ill because like, everyone had kind of caught everything i'd felt a little bit kind of uh, woozy but i couldn't work out whether it was uh, a stomach infection or just the quantity of wine cream and cream and butter i was consuming in a short oh, <laughs> it's always a strange thing to to i'm lucky that my my, my wife is um my mother-in-law was a primary school teacher for 40 odd years so she understands the physiological problems that we teachers have and and the exhaustion of almost a couple of days after you finish 
you're just literally in mm. recovery mode. You're, yeah. you're, you're almost, you turn into a bird, don't you? Or, <laughs> and of course, you've got families and children and responsibilities. You've got people coming at you going, let's do this, let's do this. And you're going, I just really need to catch up on a bit of sleep yeah. and recharge my batteries. So hopefully you've all had a, a good Christmas to recharge those batteries because we're back at it again. And whether you're back like uh, Adam is or you're about to go back tomorrow like well, I think, am. Uh, to be fair, I think it's only Derby, Derbyshire. I think <laughs> the whole of centre parks and holiday resorts from down the country are just teachers in Derby. <laughs> so you're saying I the opportunity to probably have a cheaper yeah. break. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, my, my friend says, I just, just interrupt my friend says, because he, he did this last year because somehow Derby and Derbyshire just got a bit out of sync with everybody. Um, he says there's a funny moment when you're at Centre Parks and you kind of you go just after the new year and they give you a couple of days where they're still in the kind of festive period. Two days in, they start taking all the decorations down whilst you're at the centre at you while you're actually at the park. Um, so there's a weird moment where everything kind of gets kind of a little bit depressing for a kind of week. Well, it's still Christmas for me, but not for me. Everyone starts packing up, which is but a bit weird. it was weird because we, we got um, we normally have a, a um, at Christmas in one place, you know, we do the shared Christmases on New Year. So we rotate one Christmas with mm. one set of in-laws, one Christmas with the other set of in-laws. But that means that obviously there's a trip across the Irish Sea, which um, was a bit choppy this time. Mm. And in doing so, I, it, was the, it was the quietest ferry crossing ever because exactly that. That's I, right. And I, I was, was remarking to my phone, why, why is this so quiet? And you, you, you think you're that person there at first in the queue going, Oh, we got the right boat? Do we have the right place, the right time? Are we? And it was because we were out of sync with the holidays. And, yeah. and, and the roads the last week, it was interesting watching everybody gearing back up to go into school, and I'm not. Mm. But then I had the opposite, where I think I, I had pushed up to Christmas, right? And we had that discussion in our last, in our last show about what we should do, um, the fun things before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't. I taught mm. up until the Wednesday. We were finished on a Thursday, and on a Thursday morning, we took part in a pantomime which overran because there was a lot of ad-libbing and it was just good fun. Yeah. Um, and we, we had a really good end of term where, you know, the staff all got together and we did our secret Santa, yeah. which is always good fun. And what, what, um, what were you on the pants, man? I was trying to look at your your photographs. And... I kind of made it up as I went along. Uh, <laughs> my, my role was an angel. Oh, yes. um, so I was an angel, um, which is hilarious because my daughter also played an angel recently yeah. and she has this little song that she's been singing overall called Christmas. It's the cutest thing. She's only four. And she goes, we're angels from heaven, angels from heaven. So, and every time I hear what the word nativity play, yeah. I'm reminded about love, actually. Okay. I'm waiting for that moment where my daughter's going to be dressed up as an octopus. <laughs> but luckily, she was just the innkeeper this yeah, time. Yeah, so, yeah. Christmas done with... Yeah, um, I'll try and get Brent to share the pictures, because I, I, I thought for a minute it was uh, Beyond Bjork, not... Uh... Not an angel. <laughs> there was a lot of makeup and, and, and uh, a lot of um, a lot of things had to be done to make me look like an angel. Yeah. Um, not look like a fallen angel, but uh, <laughs> that was a different matter entirely. But we did. We had a little bit of fun near the end, and the students played along, and it was just it was interesting. What was interesting about it was the younger children um, and the children who I think we've lost out in a couple of years, like the year eights and the year nines, hadn't seen us do things like that. And one of the children remarked, was, is, was that normal? Because we do always do like the 12 days, uh, the, and the 12th day of Christmas, my true love said to me. We always do that, and staff sing that on stage, which is very traditional. It's been done apparently since 1967. It's one of our school traditions. School traditions are always important. And, and some of the younger kids were like, yeah, well, you do this every year. Yeah. 
And we also did a Band-Aid song, so we all contributed towards um, a Band-Aid song. We got a bit of a preview, didn't we? Yeah. If you want yeah. to listen back to the show last week, like, before Christmas, yeah. um, you know, we had an incredible uh, um, Bono from hey, Brent. Hey, what can I say? Yeah. You know, um, I'm an Irishman, that's what we do. We <laughs> sing and, and we talk. <laughs> we educate. I'm such a stereotype. I, really, I, am, I am a walking stereotype. Apart from Mrs. Brown's boys, which I cannot stand, and we're not starting a conversation about that. No, Get right. it off yeah, the television. Let's, let's not do that. Get it off the television. I'm yeah. sorry, but I'm going to lose some people with it right now. But Mrs. Brown's boys done, finished, had enough of it. So that's that's Christmas done and dusted. Yeah. So um, so we're sat in the staff room. Well, me, my staff, I share a staff room largely with the math the math team. Uh, we'll come on to the reasons why that is uh, so big in our school um, later on in the show. Um, but uh, Richie Sunak. Um, stood up and said the following. Thousands of adults the opportunity to get the basic numerical skills they need. But we're one of the few countries not to require our children to study some form of maths up to the age of 18. Right now, just half of all 16 to 19 year olds study any maths at all. Yet in a world where data is everywhere and statistics underpin every job, Letting our children out into that world without those skills is letting our children down. I am now making numeracy a central objective of our education system. Now that doesn't have to mean a compulsory A-level in maths for everyone, but we will work with the sector to move towards all children studying some form of maths to 18. Okay, so I think as most teachers, you know, going back to the first couple of days, this wasn't expected. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was on anyone's radar particularly, was it? It kind of, kind of completely came out of the blue. Obviously, he was doing a keynote speech. Largely, I think everyone thought he was going to address some of the kind of big issues in the country um, in terms of the industrial NHS, action, industrial action yeah. and everything. And, and, Cost and of living pay. crisis. Um, but then, boom, the big headline kind of came and certainly sent a um, tidal wave through mass departments, school departments, staff rooms, SLTs and that type of thing. So um, that was the big thing that kind of hit, hit us kind of straight away as we came back. Kind of well, one, actually, one day. the first thing that hit people straight away coming back was, was the uh, Department of the Education, God bless them, a couple of years ago, they were the ones that were having parties during lockdowns. Yeah. Or, sorry, work gatherings. Yeah. So when we're saying about the children having fun things before Christmas, we don't mean the guys in charge having th fun things before Christmas because they literally did take the biscuit on that and probably more than stronger than biscuits. But the fact is, is that they produced again a humdinger on the 2nd of January. They released a press release and the press release was uh, something along the lines of the number of scarlet fever cases is high. The head teachers union has warned uh, the people to be lessons and Christmas holidays. Flu and COVID cases are currently circulating very high. Um, and Sir Susan Hopkins, chief medical advisor, said... A press release by the Department of Education. If your child is unwell and has a fever, they should stay at home from school or nursery until they feel better, until the fever is resolved. She also stressed the importance of washing hands. Yes, we're back to singing happy birthday and washing hands. And catching coughs and sneezes in tissues. Really, this is the in-depth advice. Adults should also stay at home when unwell. Right. So that's saying that we teachers, when we don't feel well, stay at home. Interesting when some academy policies are you know, hunting us down when we have a couple of days off. Um, and wear a face covering if they, if they go out. 
Oh, whoa, whoa, wear a face covering. Is that the return of face masks? Interesting. Those who are ill should avoid healthcare settings. Well, I think that's that's, <laughs> that's a given at the moment, considering yeah. uh, the crisis that we're currently facing. And vulnerable people, less urgent, she asked. This was a, a, a back to school advice was issued amid high levels of flu, COVID-19 and scarlet fever. That's the 2nd of January. Would have been, that's not exactly what your head teachers want in their entry is kind of vague advice. And don't get me wrong, it, it's perfectly valid. And, and everything that's said in that it, it, is sound. It's just the wrong time. And it's not exactly what we want to be walking back into. And then again, also we're walking back into this one. Professor Susan Hopkins, again, the Chief Medical Advisor to the UK Health Security Agency says people who feel unwell should consider wearing face masks to stop the spread of flu. These are fears that high levels of flu, COVID and strep A could overwhelm hospitals amid warnings that patients are already having to wait for days in accident emergency departments. They said that this could minimise the spread of cold, flu and strep A in schools by keeping sick children off school, washing hands regularly and using clean tissues. She added, it's important to minimise the spread of infection in schools and other education, healthcare and childcare settings. That's also nurseries. The NAHT said, that's the Head Teachers Union, does appear to be an unusually high level of illness around the moment. Advice from the government is welcome to give schools and parents clarity on what and when children should stay at home. Here's the problem with that. Where are you with attendance figures? When you are, schools are being judged by Ofsted as inadequate because their attendance figures, do you turn around and say, sorry, the government advice says for these kids to stay off. What do you turn around to a member of staff? As a union rep, I sometimes have members of staff sitting down to me and saying, I'm worried about my attendance is going to be used against me. We are in a situation where the right hand is judging you and telling you, you know, get to work. And, you know, the parents, we've missed too many school days. So there's a bit of mixed message from their parents get fined if their children don't go to school. Mm. So for me, yes, th this is welcome advice. But again, on the 2nd of January, would that not be better coming out? Was the situation not already apparent at the end of December before we left for the Christmas break? Why do they always do this? When we go back in January, they give us some advice. They think, is this really been thought through? Can you come up with more concrete discernible measures. We know what we went through in the last couple of years and, and one of my, our previous guests on, obviously, uh, Karen Bales, who, you know, and others are calling for better buildings, better mi uh, mitigations in schools. The fact remains, we have the most overcrowded classrooms in Western Europe. Fact remains, we have a recruitment and retention crisis, which is going to increase class sizes because as we lose teachers, we're having to combine classes, which puts more children into cramped classrooms, which are not fit for purpose. Germany, November 2022, 20, sorry, put in ventilation systems in. It really has to be looked at. And, and, and again, going back to the MADS idea, it, it, it's got to be judged in its own merits. Mm. But if I wanted the Prime Minister to be speaking about education, I would have expected him to be speaking about the public health crisis, the funding crisis, the social crisis, the mental health crisis, the fact that education schools are now, you know, in trouble when it comes to finances you know their budgets are being cramped we, 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 food, food food for the children we're talking free school meals there is a plethora of issues out there and, and you and i had this discussion about maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah. if i had a maslow's hierarchy of needs for schools at the moment where would i score the teaching of maths to the age of 18 on in our maslow hierarchy of needs of the people at the coal face, at the chalk face, the people who are running the show, the people on the ground, the, you know, the foot soldiers. 
strikes to me almost like the First World War general sitting 20, mile, 20 miles behind enemy uh, behind their own lines, dictating to the, the, the soldiers about the battle conditions. When, you know, here's a grand idea. I feel like Black Adder goes forth. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have a, you know, like Baldrick, I have a great idea. Uh, yeah. I have a plan, yeah. I have a plan. And I'm like, that's not what we need in education. We need the yeah. basics to be done. We, we kind of need the basics. And that's, that's upset me a little bit because you come back to it and you go like, what are we coming back into? And we're coming back into, again, a situation that probably could have been better planned for with a bit of foresight. We know that schools are always going to be problematic for spreading coughs and colds and sneezes and flus. Any NQT will tell you, mm. your first two or three years of teaching, you're a walking petri dish. Yeah. Or you're not. You have to build up the resistance to it. So that, that's an interesting one. Um, Okay, we're going to come along to our... Yeah, well, I, just want yeah. to, I just want to kind of cover those the two things together, really, yeah. that uh, we, you know, we, we talked before about kind of strategic planning, and um, that's why it was kind of a bit of a shock, really. It's kind of just an out-of-the-blue out uh, comment, and it'd be interesting to know kind of where it goes, and I think it'd be interesting to maybe have a show uh, on maths in particular. Maybe if... if Here's another question that we can maybe come back to in the future... Are certain subjects should students carry on with them? Right, we had a discussion: why mm -hmm. maths? Why not literacy? Why not history? Why not arts? Why not some of the softer skills? Uh, could be well. I'm, I'm doing softer skills in inverted commas because I don't really think they're life soft skills. life skills. And um, what? Why? Why that? Why maths has been particularly uh, chosen rather than any else? And to kind of confirm the from the rampage of this i've done my best to kind of edit the clip as much as possible but uh, <laughs> uh anyone that picked up kind of uh, simon Pegg's comments um i'll just play it for you now i've, I've done my I've done, I've done my utmost to kind of take out any other problems with this but we, uh, we are politically neutral in this yeah well. political neutral but this is what simon Pegg had to say on the comment so rishi sunak our unmandated unelected prime minister twice removed has decided that it should be compulsory for children to learn maths up until the age of 18. What about arts and humanities and fostering this country's amazing reputation for creativity and self-expression? What about that? What about the kids who don't want to do maths? I hated maths. I dropped maths as soon as I could. And I've never needed it other than the skill set I acquired at the age of 12. But no. Was, uh, Simon Pegg there okay I think I've uh, done very well with my editing skills then to take out um he goes and, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and everyone's entitled to their opinion I mean I, I do I do I mean I, although I found it very entertaining I do, I do disagree with the fact that um this comment of you never you never use maths I find that hard I find that hard to believe I think maybe he's just not thinking about the application of maths maybe uh, going forward um and I've, I've listened to some interesting uh, podcasts over the over the holiday particularly I picked up a guy called uh, Stephen Snodgrass and he can pick you up I'll put a link on our show notes but he does a great show with the guys from the free economics radio um, and about how important um, applied mathematics are to uh, nature, to economics, to humanities, um, to what you were saying earlier about geography. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there is there is another way in. So uh, maybe we we hold judgment on the on the statement around mathematics because we don't really understand it because he flips halfway through the speech back to numeracy, then to data, then to statistics. Um, so be interesting to know where that goes. Um, I am my own school at the minute are trying to run a huge financial literacy program uh, using the uh, Young Money Matters program. 
Uh, we've got HSBC involved with that. Um, so there are ways to do it. So it's not always, always bad. Um, but one of the things we want to just kind of just say now, so you've got a kind of heads up to kind of call in uh, for two o'clock, is we do want to have a big discussion around um, um, do we help children far too much in schools? And that's going to be the focus of today's show. Um, because I don't know how this happened, but I think we both kind of ended up with um, social media um, tweets and articles sent to us about parenting. I don't know if it's because people go home, journalists go home and spend time with their family then sort of focus on parenting for a bit. But I picked up an article in the FT, you picked up an article in Huffington Post, didn't you? Yeah. Almost at the same time around this. So it's obviously on trend, as it were, to think about kind of, are we currently doing too much for our children, as in our, our, our you know, um, own children or for the children that we teach? Yeah, it's the two aspects of, are we overdoing our job is our compassion too much i.e we're, we're almost doing far too much we're not we're not enabling these children we're, we're spoon feeding them we are um all about the product now it's all about the data it's all about the exam results and it's all about what you need to do to get those exam results and, and in essence are we losing the value of education in the grind of it's all about the lead tables and the exam results and whatever you need to do to get those children over the line you do to get those exam results because you are ultimately judged not on the quality of education you deliver for a life. You know, the fact that children may contact you 10 years later and say, thanks for those lessons. You might, the fact that you may be that inspirational teacher from, you know, captain, my captain, sir, that they, those kids will turn around and go, wow, you are the most amazing teacher ever. You've changed how I think. You changed how I behave. You, you had that impact. And that's, well, all of us who are teachers always have that one or two individuals that made such a difference, those rescuing factor teachers. But how would those actual uh, teachers fare in the current education system? Would they be hounded out? Would they be destroyed because they don't, the mavericks in them don't play by these new rules? And, and these new rules are, it is about exam results. And it is about enabling the children to get over that, that, that threshold about the grades, the grades, the grades. And in that spirit of, of that competition, you know, it's a bit like I feel like a Premier League football uh, situation where you now as a teacher are the manager of a football team. Yeah. And ultimately the manager of the football team is the one that always gets it. Yeah. And you think to yourself, well, hold on a second here. That manager of the football team is responsible for a certain amount of things. They pick the team, that's correct. Sometimes the, the, those things are outside their control. They have injuries. Sometimes they can't buy the players, they can't. So they have financial constraints. They might be in a small club. Mm. I think there's such a massive parallel between uh, football clubs and schools because you you have you have your head teacher again like your board of governors uh, or your who might be your 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 boss as the manager and say to you this is the style of football they want you to play this is my philosophy and you have to buy into that philosophy yeah. or you're not a manager in that but here's what comes down to it when those eleven players get on that football pitch what control does the manager have at what stage and you often find this sometimes that the players turn around and collectively say i'm sorry it's not the manager's the problem it's somebody within our dressing room yeah it's some of the players that must take responsibility that's a bit like the prime minister yeah. but like the cabinet at what stage is the prime minister responsible and at what stage is the cabinet responsible yeah. and the same goes for schools and this is my premise is at what stage are the children responsible for their exam grades because it seems to me it has become now all in the teacher the parents demand that we do these things. And I think, unfortunately, we've, and it's the good cartoon that I've, I've hunted down, and I'll put it on our, our socials, explain these bad grades. In 1969, you have the, the teacher who's showing the grades to the parents, and the parents are chastising their child. 
and the teacher's sort of sitting there going, look, there you go, there's the child's grades. And the child is getting it from the parents and the teacher because they're their grades. And we see the teacher of today, and we see the child sniggering and laughing, mm-hmm. and we see the two parents pointing to the child's grades, and we see a nervous teacher yeah. who, who's getting it in the neck from the, from the parent. And that's where I think the flip has happened. Um, and I think that cartoon was about 2010, and that's why I think things started to go a little bit to, into the realms of, and it might be that this is responsible for a recruitment and retention problem because we are now seemingly solely responsible for the child's education. And that does not match a lot with the action research of people like Hattie. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to We'll come on to we'll, we'll come on to that. Yeah. Yeah. What I want to do is we want to give you this kind of heads up because we really want your interaction with this, yeah. uh, either on social media or if you'd like to call in or text the show or email the show, uh, that would be great as well. Um, do you agree? Do you, do you yeah, think we yeah. go too far? Yeah. Do you think that we are too good? I mean, because that's the thing. That's my thing. Of like, I, I'm a better teacher, I think, than a lot of the teachers that taught me. Mm. And I often think, what more can I physically do? What more blood, sweat, and tears can I give to these children? And at some stage, I'm looking at them going, you've gone into that exam hall and you haven't performed. What, what more am I meant to have done? To, you know, Go into your, you know, call in your call in your house at eight, eight o'clock in the evening, or the night before an exam, and say, "Excuse me, are you studying?" Well, we've, we've, uh, I've, I've done that the morning before. Got people. You've gone and retrieved students <laughs> yeah. on the day of the exam. Yeah. That's and, half has happened yet. But you know, and this this infuriates yeah. me that children will turn up for an exam that costs like fifty or sixty pounds. Yeah. I I, I look, I'm, and maybe I'm old school in this, and I am sometimes old school in a lot of my views, and sometimes very modern in others. If we say, for instance, made the children pay for their exams that yeah. they missed. And I know that some people don't like that because that might, you know, discriminate against certain individuals. But here's the problem. The kids don't, it's not my exam. It's mm. the school's exam. Or they seem to think they don't take ownership and responsibility. Yeah. It's, but it goes the other way. When the kids do well, one of the first things I often say is they're not my exam results. They're the children's exam results. They're the one that sat the exam. Yeah. You know, when I failed my driving test and I failed spectacularly, it wasn't my driving instructor's fault that I went the wrong direction, put the windscreen wipers on, couldn't turn them <laughs> off, it was a derby, I, I, got, I, I got caught on a hill, yeah. uh, I went the wrong... It's important to say, I think the derby um, driving test is probably one of the hardest in the country. It's a horrible, it's a horrible place, to, in my defence, it's a horrible place to navigate, yeah. and in my defence, I used an unfamiliar car. Um, but I absolutely, completely failed it, and afterwards, yeah. I had a horrible thing of like, how did I do that? What happened to me? And then I realized I'm just like the children. I have to do that reflection. Second time around, I absolutely aced it because I learned from my mistakes. Yeah. But I didn't turn around to my driving instructor who was sitting in the back of the car. As I got out of the car, the first thing I did to my driving instructor was, I am really sorry, Eddie. <laughs> that was not, and he looked at me and it was almost, he was the teacher, I was the child. Yeah. He looked at me and says, don't worry, Brent, you're a good driver. You just had a bad day. It happens a lot. And that's the same with the exams. I have to turn around to children sometimes and say, why did they not do well in the exam? And then what do I do? Oh, you've let me down. You've let yourself down. Mm. Doom on you. Mm. My best friend failed his English three times. He's now very successfully working in media yeah. and in television. Yeah. And he got zero GCSEs at the age of 16. Mm. He got a first class honours degree at 23 years old mm. because he had resilience, stoicism. He had the rescuing factors of supportive parents. Mm. He had desire, hunger. Those things were not put there by the education system. Those things were intrinsic yeah, to him. him yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. We both had a, a, a really good art teacher we both really enjoyed. One reason we became good friends because we, we enjoyed our art lessons. Mm. And yes, there is a correlation between my best exam result at GCSE and my favourite teacher and the one subject I worked the most because, yes, he was a factor. 
but he wasn't the only factor. I had to have some desire to do it. Yeah. I chose it at GCSE. I enjoyed doing it. He made it. He facilitated it. But ultimately speaking, I'm the one that did all the work, not him. I'm the one that chose to stay behind after school and do all the hard work on my own time. Mm. And what comes down to it, this is the choice that children have. I often say to them, what's your job at the moment? And they look at me funny and say, what's your job? What's your occupation? What's a bus driver's job? A bus driver's job is to drive a bus. What's mm. a prison officer's job? To keep prisoners in prison. You know, what's, what's a doctor's job? To treat sick patients. Mm. What's a teacher's job? To teach. Mm. So what's their job? They're students. Yeah. Do they actually study? How good of yeah. students? And I think a lot well, of do the they focus, have the skills? Do they even have the skills? Yeah, exactly. do they? A lot of the focus is always on the teaching mm. element, not on the quality of the learning environment or the learner mm. or actually how they learn. I think we've lost the semantics of about how we get these children to learn. Yeah. In the rush to get these kids over the line, I think we lose the art of teaching because we're being forced into systems which I think be honest with you are shackling these children mm. because all of that stuff like Hattie says is creativity it's it's the maverick it's the it's the ju it's the juicy stuff it's mm. the stuff that takes a risk but teachers that take risks now run the risk of what they run the risk of stepping outside yeah, the, yeah it's about the comfort zone of everyone else yeah. and therefore you you are being almost drilled it's mm. almost becoming very drill 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 this is what we do in the school this is what you must if I have to turn around and have somebody say to me, the child must underline, underline, underline their title, underline their title. And I'm going, hmm, underline the title is really the thing they're going to remember from me, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. That's the thing that's really going to make their life yeah, skill yeah. complete. Oh, look, they know today's date. Hmm. Oh, wow, fantastic. Yeah. They got that on their phone. And it's like things like the analog. I have an old analog, um, an old clock with a watch hands on it. I didn't realize a 15-year-old the other day says, how long is the lesson, how long is the, how long got left for the exam? Yeah. I says, well, work it out from the clock. And the child looked at me and went, well, I don't use a clock. Yeah, the kid didn't know how at 15 yeah. years old how to use a clock. But then I could go, oh, that's terrible. What are the, kid, what are the kids being taught these days? And then they, after, the, after the exam, they said to me, I use my phone and I, and I, and, and I use everything's digital. Yeah, moved. And, and I says, well, you did learn this at primary school. And the child was honest and says, yeah, I learned that stuff at primary school years ago, but I've forgotten all about it anyway. Yeah, yeah. In, in other words, they're being taught to do something for a certain short piece of time to pass an exam, mm. and therefore, once it's done, they forget they about it. Because I, I think they're overloaded. I think yeah. a lot of the children turn and say to me, they just feel as if they're overloaded. And in doing so, we're all just coming at them and at them and at them. And the problem then is, it comes down to this. We get it when the kids don't do well. Our reputation suffers. Mm. And I think parents buy into that as well. Oh, that teacher gets good grades. You think, that teacher gets good grades. What do they do to get the good grades? What price is to be paid? Yeah, yeah. And how, how long can they do it for? What's, and what happens if it. they have a bad year? Yeah, yeah. What happens if they have a, you know, the, the pandemic is shutting a couple of apples out of the threes mm. because attendance has been up the left. You know, I, I sat down and tried to analyze my data. And I'm, I'm thinking, going like, are we judging this as a normal year? Mm. But then somebody goes, well, how do you compare your subject to another subject? And I'm like, hold on a second. Yeah, you can't do that. But they do, you do have it. Oh, yeah. that department's doing well because that department's done. So did you think about talking to that yeah, department? Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, fantastic for them. What yeah. we? I guess we're trying to find just something. To, anyway, we've got loads of stuff there that uh, you know, we want to kind of save for that kind of main main discussion point. Um, do you want to kind of go through some headlines or should we hit the news? Well, we'll hit the news we'll hit and the then news. we'll go through the headlines okay. afterwards. Yep. Cool, we'll catch you in a bit then. 
This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With the majority of pupils returning to schools this week, the new year has brought new announcements and new challenges for many in the education sector. Government advice about illness and staying away from education settings if you're sick was shared, and the issue of strikes remains a hot topic. Pressures on school leaders continue with The Guardian reporting that many head teachers are broken, at risk of heart attacks and exhausted as a result of the erosion of services for children and families, meaning the burden of support is falling on the shoulders of schools too often. So as the new year begins on a duller note than any of us might like, here are the top stories that have caught the eye of Teachers Talk Radio News this week. In Manchester, the Morning Star reports that students at one of the city's universities have launched a rent strike. Students at the University of Manchester are using the strike to press their demands for an end to what they describe as extortionate rents and their requests for a 30% cash rebate. Organisers say that more than 30 students per day are joining the protest, spurred by the combined effects of the cost of living crisis and poor quality accommodation provided at too high a cost. According to the National Union of Students, Half of England's students are facing financial difficulty, with three quarters of these saying they expect this to have an impact on their studies. A previous rent strike in Manchester in 2021 was successful and students hope to replicate this outcome in this new wave of action. FE Week reports on Ofqual's decision to disband its committee of experts who advise on exam standards in favour of a more flexible approach on policy advice. The Standards Advisory Group has been active for more than a decade and was set up to help the exam watchdog maintain standards. Ofqual confirmed that the committee will be replaced to reflect a broader remit, such as expansions in vocational and technical qualifications and apprenticeships. Ofqual has faced criticism and upheaval over decisions and communication during the pandemic. Deputy Chief Regulator Michael Hanton described the change as positive and will secure quality and fairness for all those who take and use qualifications. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who recently announced his ambition to have all young people study maths to the age of 18, has faced a barrage of criticism about his plan. The I newspaper reports that Robin Walker, chair of the Commons Education Select Committee, feels that the PM should be focusing more on the early years sector to boost education levels instead. He calls the maths plan highly challenging, citing the nationwide shortage of subject specialists as the biggest barrier. Mr Walker, Conservative MP for Worcester and a former Education Minister, highlighted issues around recruitment and retention as people with maths qualifications are quite employable elsewhere, so it is a highly competitive market when it comes to drawing people into teaching. He added that focus on the early years sector would be the most effective way of supporting children describing it as embarrassing that England's childcare system is rated so poorly when compared to other countries. 
The AI also carries news of the decision by Catherine Burblesing to step down from her role as social mobility czar. Ms Burblesing, once dubbed Britain's strictest head teacher, has made the surprise announcement because she believes she comes with too much baggage, going on to say that her propensity to voice opinions that are considered controversial puts the commission in jeopardy. Ms Burblesing wrote of her decision in a column in Schools Week. A controversial figure for many, but with an equally vociferous fan base, Ms Burblesing also commented that she felt the role of social mobility czar meant that she was becoming a politician, but that this was not a skill set she wished to develop. Finally, ITV News reports on how parts of a Turkish Airlines plane have been delivered to a school in Alverston, South Gloucestershire, to be turned into a new library. The project, named Flying High by pupils, will see parts of the plane turned into a new outdoor reading area. Full details can be found on the ITV website with artist impressions of the final project showing children and adults enjoying new space. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello! Did you know I've been doing this show for a year now? Well, if you didn't, now you do. So shower me in gifts and love. I'm kidding. But there is one person or group of people I want you to think about as this term draws to a close. Your tech support. They may, in your mind, be the people that say no to a lot of stuff. They may stop pupils playing games and stop a lot of the web getting into your classroom. But they keep you, your data and your network safe. This week, as some of us are off, and others are desperate to be, roll on Wednesday, spare a thought for your techie. They'll be coming in over the break to patch and update. They'll be taking those broken machines and making them work again. These people, who in most schools are like ghosts, if Charles Dickens had had the privilege of tech support, they'd have been the spirits of modern-day make-do and mend. They wouldn't be draped in chains and padlocks, but come bearing an endless acceptable use policy. As you wind down, or if you have already, A thank you to your tech support will make your new year that little bit easier. Remember, next time you use tech in your lessons, everything is working because of them. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Have a lovely break. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, welcome back. Uh, thank you for uh, just staying with us while the news was on. Um, obviously, today's big question is, are we doing too much for our children uh, in schools? So we just had a discussion during the um, the news there. You know, is that even is that a question that can even be answered? Um, you know, Brent's just shared upon social media that classic uh, cartoon about the the change of roles really uh, from the res- where the responsibility has shifted over time. And it does feel sometimes working in schools that that, re- that change of responsibility has moved more on to the teacher rather than the uh, students and the parents themselves. Um, you know, that, that kind of analogy that I like just before uh, the news about the kind of football manager is somebody always looking for a scalp if something goes wrong. And maybe that's the thing that's kind of snuck into society. Are we, is society moved towards that blame culture a lot more and trying to find someone to blame you? You're a paid professional. It was on your watch. You should have known. You should have been doing this, etc., etc. 
um, rather than um, you know the focus on how the child is actually learning, what are they doing behind the behind the scenes? Because ultimately, I, I I don't know how you feel about this, Brent, but the things that I've taken responsibility for are have been the things that then stayed with me, and I've had that had the greater you know impact on on my life kind of going forward. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. I I, I always said to parents the parents evening, and, and you get that with children coming in at eleven years old, and the parents are like, what level are they at? What progress are they making? And I'm like, it's a child. I, I often use the analogy of a marathon. Mm. Says so, you know a marathon's a twenty four mile. All right, you have some children, you and you you want to push children too young, too fast. It's like it's like the marathon runner who sprints too early. Yeah, and I've seen this a lot with some children pushed too early. They just get fed up because the, the kids are not an exhaustible resource. So I often say to a parent, look, you're 24 miles. Is your, is your child leaving university possibly with a degree or in, in full-time employment in a career of their choice? That's when they're getting over that finish line. That's ultimately what we want. We want productive, happy, you know, we want well-rounded individuals who are able to compete in society, who are able to fulfill the jobs that the job market needs, but also to have those soft skills, those life skills. So where are I'm at? I'm at stage, what, 12 miles to 12 miles to 18 miles probably. Yeah. You know, air levels is, is kind of 18 miles to 22 miles. And then, you, you know, your, your last couple of miles is, is, is your degree, etc. Yeah. So where is the most important part of that? It's a good start, isn't it? Mm. So when I'm at secondary, I'm often saying to myself, what actually can I do with the child who comes to me? How much can I get more out of that child? And we, that's when the switch happened about seven or eight years ago about value added. I thought, well, value added is actually a better measurement, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Definitely, yeah. But that impinges upon the fact of how we're measuring the children. Yeah. By what competencies? I mean, you're back to your sats and your cats and your gaming. And, and I have so many conversations with a colleague when I look at the child's data. I think, that child's a level seven. Yeah. And then you realize, <laughs> yes. Because the primary school that they went to mm. practically sat and did their sats with them. Yeah. So hold on a second. I am now responsible for a child's grades. And somebody cynical will come say to me, you are not a good teacher. That child didn't make progress in your classroom. Mm. And I'm going, that child made progress because I'm making genuine progress. That's fake progress yeah. because the grades aren't accurate. Yeah. It comes back to the whole reporting system, the league tables, comes, comes back to the somewhere along the line, somebody is responsible for a child not doing well. And you think, well, actually, does somebody have to be responsible? At what stage is the child responsible? And I often say it to children I teach, I didn't get where I am here because of my teachers. Mm. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I got here in spite of somebody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's a horrible thing to say, but it was a different time and a different education yeah, yeah, system. Yeah. It was basically sort yourself out. And if you weren't doing well, there wasn't help. Yeah. You helped yourself. If, in fact, there was that saying sometimes, wasn't there, from adults to you? Come on, you need to sort yourself, Do yourself out. You need to sort yourself out. And you know, what's going on? We're both parents. And yeah. sometimes I have my own children come to me like, Daddy, Daddy, help me. And I go, look. Yeah. And, and it's a horrible thing to refuse your child help. But I'm thinking, I'm, what am I doing here? I'm not mm. enabling that child. I'm making them dependent. Yeah. And I think we're fostering a dependency culture. And I'm not, economically speaking, this sounds like some laissez-faire kind of libertarian sort of agenda. And I, and I do see a value in that. And, and with the resignation of the social mobilities are, I know she's very big into this type of stuff. And, mm. and I happen to agree to a certain extent with it. We sometimes have to remove the training wheels. We sometimes have to say to a child, there's the deep end of the swimming pool, there's the armbands off, and I'm chucking you in. Yeah. And you know what? You might gulp a couple of mouthfuls of water, but you're going to learn to swim. Yeah. Call me old-fashioned sometimes. I think sometimes we just need to chuck the kids yeah. in. But here's the thing. You have to know the level of challenge. If you chuck them in, it's too difficult. Mm. 
a lot of our children now switch off and mm. they shut down. And that's, that's one right, of the yeah. problems I have with a difficult academic subject like mine in mm. history. They, they find my subject more challenging than most. And what I've had sometimes is kids going, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I'm thinking to myself, right, if I chunk this down and make this easier for you, okay, I'll get you over the line. But then I run the risk of doing what? Feeding into this culture of, I'm sorry, it's too difficult, here you go, here's an easier, easier, easier worksheet. And I think differentiation yeah. is important. Well, it's not differentiation any longer. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's enabled, enabled learning. Yeah. But at the same time, if you get that wrong, you create a culture of can't do it, can't do it, yeah, can't yeah, do it, wait, can't do I, it. I'll, I'll wait until someone does it for me. Exactly. And I'm looking at a generation of children who are social media gurus, mm. who can navigate their way through the cyber sphere like absolute experts, mm. who will gain to two o'clock in the morning. And I often say to them, who's taught you FIFA? Who's, who's taught you Call of Duty? Mm. Who's taught you how to do TikTok videos? Could you tell me if any of your parents have taught you that? And they look at me and go, no. How did you do that? Yeah. You taught yourself. Yeah. I've got kids who say, oh, I can't do maths lessons, but yet they can work out the mental transfers of how many transfers they've got, how much fake currency they have yeah, yeah. to buy the next reward in their computer yeah. game. And you're like, when it suits you, you're intelligent more than I yeah. am. So, so they're, more, they're more motivated when they're more interested. Is that that's basically well, so? So it, there's it, something it, in it for them. Okay, so is is that our job then? To a make it interesting, or and b is it possible, or should we be making it interesting? Oh, well, it goes back to my, my little thing before <laughs> before Christmas holidays. Yeah. Should I make my lessons yeah, yeah, fun? Yeah, and yeah. the Russell Crowe, am I not entertained? <laughs> am I not here to entertain yeah. you? Is my, and, and you often find that kids go, "What makes a good teacher? They're funny." Yeah. I mean, there's a school that's actually banned. Get this one. It's another one of little little tidbits of thing. They ban sarcasm mm. as in any way, shape, or form in the classroom. And yet some parents were like, whoa, 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 the teachers I enjoyed the most. <laughs> yeah, the sarcastic <laughs> And it's funny, my kids said that to me. They said, um, yeah, we like, we, like, we like that guy. He's quite sarcastic. <laughs> now, now, I don't know if that's because they've been brought up uh, in it. Um, we do have a, um, oh, we did have a caller in. Okay, if you'd like to call back, uh, well, we're, we're more than happy to kind of have, you on, have you on the show. It'd be great. Uh, then we can actually see how those buttons work. <laughs> we can actually see how things things work. It is live. We are live, and we'd like to um, hear for you. Otherwise, we're going to just uh, rabbit and rant on. Um, so we both picked up when we did our masters. Yes, John, John Hattie. Hattie, Hattie is um, two thousand nine God, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, two thousand nine God. So we did our masters two thousand thirteen, fourteen ish, was it? So, 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 yeah. so around that. So it's fairly kind of fresh stuff at the time. Um, so it would kind of, and I know it kind of st it stuck with me. Uh, luckily, luckily for me, it kind of came up uh, recently. Uh, one of our SLTs kind of brought it up, um, so I kind of thought, "Oh, there's a guy that's actually on my my wavelength for once," uh, which is good. Um, so, what should or what could teachers do? Do you think what what, what should we be doing? Um, and then we can maybe look at what what pupils should yeah. be doing. I mean, it's the lot of things in our control that the you, 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 how you speak to the children is important. It's, it's about the standards. It's about the the values that you have. I think it's values, personality, and a lot of people don't like the personality thing, but it is about that sense of I am in this because I want to be here. I mean, it does drive me crazy sometimes when you get people going, "Oh, I have to be here today." Anything? Yeah. I look at the children and I go, "Do you want to be here?" And if they look at me and go, "No," well, what am I doing? And imagine the member of staff standing in front of you going like, oh, I'm two years off retirement. Yeah. Sorry, but if you're there, you are there. You've yeah, got yeah, to be. Yeah. That's something that's in your control. Teacher credibility has to be important. You've got to know what you're doing. So so, so is that the children getting um, 
a feeding off that. Do you well, think they, they have they, to buy into who yeah. you are. So, they have so, to so, buy in so, a little bit so, of who so you are. So if you're going in, you're going into the room of, um, because we, this is this is not, I mean, we're not talking off days here, are we? No. You know, we're, we're, sometimes we're all tired. Sometimes, you know, we've not, we've not slept. We've got our own kids that have kept us up late. Um, there's there's all sorts of other issues. We've over-caffeinated. You know, we decided to have that third piece of Toblerone just before bed and then and then worked out. Well, the candy canes. <laughs> we are trying to have some candy canes at the minute. Um, so sometimes the brain just doesn't switch off and you wake up next morning and go, oh, I just can't seem to function. That's different, isn't it? Because students still know that you're a, a caring teacher that's tired. Whereas if you are just an uncaring teacher yeah. and you're just doing it for the numbers, the pay, I, mean, I, I, I still find it incredibly incredible that how hard this job is, is that some people try and do it for uh, a pay packet, pension packet, holidays, whatever. I can't, I can't see that working long term. I think those days are gone in a way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. You're left with the hardcore individuals yeah. who are there for the right reasons. Or maybe honours have, have been destroyed. I think, unfortunately, too many good teachers have been hounded out of the profession because of all the changes. But the thing about it is, here's the thing. Good teachers should be passionate about what they learn and and passionate about their subject. Problem is, we've got teachers not teaching their subject. But here's the thing. A good teacher should be able to adapt and evolve. You can't do the thing you were doing 20 years ago and say, because that's like driving. You can't say, driving is updating. You have to keep updating. You have to constantly learn and evolve. Is is that different from, because you're in this position this year, of taking on completely different subjects out of your... You find a way to communicate it. I mean, kids yeah. walk in and, and, and one, one kid goes, look, sir, you're not a physics yeah. teacher. I went, no, I'm not a physics teacher. Yeah. But I've always taught them history. And I'm like, do you not know when I'm a history teacher? Mm. I'm a geography qualified teacher who's now the head of history. I've yeah. taught citizenship, PHSE. For me, it's the subject's important, but it's also the buy-in. You, the teacher, has to buy into the yeah. subject you're teaching. Regardless of whatever subject that is, you've got to believe in what you're teaching them. If you don't believe in what you're teaching them, like the footballing philosophy, yeah. you've got to turn and say they're a bunch of young lads. This is my footballing philosophy. This is how we're going to play the game. They have to buy into that. Otherwise, they're going to be fighting and resisting against you. Yeah. So you have to have something about you that that kind of that passionate way that you 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 are, and you know yourself. My art teacher was my favorite teacher because the man lived and breathed what he did. You've got to forge strong relationships with the students, and that one's difficult sometimes, especially when they can be quite challenging, especially the last couple of months. But it is sometimes about being firm and fair. That's the old thing. It's not about giving them anything he wants. It's it's learning the word no. I care about you because I am actually forcing you to do this. Yes. This is for your own good. It's like it's like that. I often use the analogy of a doctor. Imagine, imagine I say to the children, I'm your I'm a doctor, right? You go to a doctor to be cured, right? You are a student, I'm your teacher. You're here to learn from me and I'm here to teach you. Mm-hmm. Right? In the in the same reality, you go to a doctor to be cured of an illness. Imagine you give the medicine to a patient and that, that patient goes, Don't want your medicine, not having it. Mm. You'd be like, what ridiculousness, it's, what, what are you doing? This is for your own benefit. So you have to communicate to the kids and say, I'm sorry you don't like this learning sometimes, but this is what we're doing. And this is about communicating why we're doing it, yeah. the rationale. You've got to say to the kids, this is why we're studying this. And I think autonomy is important mm-hmm. in that because you have to have some control over what you're teaching. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of teachers are being but, shackled, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but I still think, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a big ask. I, st- I still think it's a big ask. I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I know that you know you and a lot of other colleagues try their very very hardest, um, but it's hard. Like if I, if I was asked to do physics, geography, you know, another subject, um, although I would do my best and I would do all the things that you talk about, my 
my passion, my reading, my the stuff that I'm doing away from the classroom is all mm. business studies related. Yeah. So therefore, it's not going to be at the level, the standard that's... But that's that, what that's good a, management. Again, the good management will put the square peg in a square hole, the round peg in a round hole. Mm. Good management would evaluate their staff members and say, that staff member's competencies and skills, that's where they are it's meant to be. Mm. But how many times you've got non-specialists there who, as you say, they're told... They fall into it. Some fall into it and enjoy it and embrace yeah, it. Yeah, Some yeah. fall into it and then obviously it's the thing they have to do now because they're typecast. Yeah. Their career's gone into yeah, kind yeah. of cul-de-sac yeah. and, and, and they're now kind of like this, well, I'm a teacher of this now. I started as a teacher of that. Some embrace that te- journey yeah. within education and evolve as educators yeah. and go on a kind of magical mystery tour and, and end up doing multiple different yeah, things. Yeah. And the same as some go into senior management, yeah. some come down from senior management. Yeah. You know? but, but I just, I mean, I, I, I was in this position where I taught business to this went down the ICT route, which I was very happy with, very comfortable with, you know, linked to some of my other passions like we're doing now uh, with, with the, the IT and media here, more than happy with that. And then that course went almost towards computer science, and that's where the problem started because although I was all those things, I was passionate, I went away and did the hard work, the hard research, tried to build up my, my skill knowledge to get to push and challenge the higher achievers I was letting those people down because mm. I just didn't have that kind of uh, background yeah that I could just do it and eventually it did it did come yeah. through yes yeah, so no no yeah yeah professional development's key I, I understand that but still there was something either the way kind of my brain process information mm. or whatever but there was just some kind of neurological difference that meant that I just couldn't push the higher achievers over. And that was that was me kind of stretched to my kind of maximum. And I was worried, as we've said before, that if I carried on with this, I would always be, I would always have that um oh what's it called now when you kind of you don't you don't think you're as good as you should be. <laughs> Uh, imposter syndrome. Yes. Yeah. So, so I always felt like I had imposter syndrome with computer science because ultimately I knew deep down that I'd only known this a couple of weeks before the yeah. students did. Whereas if it came to something like business studies, I'm quite happy to sit there in the classroom and I can go, all right, what you're really talking about is this. And that's way off on a different spec somewhere else. But I, but I can I can give that knowledge over and say don't worry about that. Actually, we did for example we did market mapping this week in business studies. So I can very quickly go back and some of the students were struggling, saying, "Well, hang on a minute, some of this is about this is a bit subjective." And I went absolutely, and because I could then had that bank of knowledge from from my studies from my reading, is actually I can I can go back and say, "Well, actually, you're right." And a lot of the times it is called a perception map. So therefore, the perception is the subjectivity. The subjectivity then brings in those students who are struggling to learn this particular model. So I think sometimes we've got to be careful that although we're saying to, to teachers, you know, do all these things, and Hattie's got, got these things in, it's, you see it still needs to come from a level of competence yeah. at, at, at the start and, and a comfortability with, with what you're doing. That's not just throw you in. Like it's like painted by numbers. Hang on a minute. If I get this guy that in, means the and then school. I do X, Y, and Z, your school, going, yeah. your, your school, your head teacher, your SLT, your head of department, all has responsibilities then to make sure they have the right people, right resources. That's the things outside the teacher control. Yeah, the timetabling, 
the way the classrooms run, the behaviour management of the school, the systems that run behind the school, the attendance policy of the school, all of those things impact upon your classroom culture and yeah. your classroom climate. And you, you, you often find that you, you could have, I mean, I've always had this, I've always had my way of doing things. And I am not, I'm sorry, I am not for budging on some things. Mm. But then again, Hattie backs me up on that. Yeah. Because Hattie is basically saying, the sage on the stage. For years I was told, oh, you're preaching too much, oh, you're standing in front of the classroom. Kids have always went, sir, we enjoy that. Yeah. Sir, we be buy into that. Because what do they get? They get, they get, they enjoy it. They ask me questions. But then it's, it's always been criticised by teachers who are a bit more slide on the side. And slide on the side is, is, is actually, according to Harry, is less effective. Mm. But here's our problem now. With a curriculum jammed full of knowledge and content, mm. I have less time to be a sage on stage. And it's yeah. more, you learn it, learn it, learn it. Yeah, yeah. And, and literally, I think, unfortunately, the way our exam system set up now, it's actually contradictory to a lot of things Hattie's saying. Yeah. Because the things that I am outside my control, the attendance of the people, we know attendance makes a huge play. I have no control over attendance policy. I have no control over whether a child comes to school or not. All I can do is what I'm physically got in front of those yeah. children and be that all those yeah, things yeah. Hattie's saying. Well, well, we had this we had this debate literally this week where we just couldn't understand why a group of students were just a little bit late. And actually, we did a student voice. We organised a student voice when they came back. And... Um, Actually, it turned out to be the local uh, transport network for the students to get into school. They were literally saying to us in the end, we'd love to come to school on time. We'd love to do this. We want to come to this lesson. However, we just can't get a bus. And actually then, oh, right, we'd never actually thought about that. No. We'd never actually thought that actually the student There's is... an external is, constraint. Yeah, the, yeah. the student is at the bus stop at quarter to eight, you know, three quarters an hour early for a 15-minute, 20-minute bus ride. That's yeah. well within reason, I think. Um, and each bus just drives past them full for, for, until to about half eight. But then this comes into play then. We saw this during the pandemic. Mm. The children with the digital divide. Yeah. There are some children returning around. And that, that, here comes the thing now. And this is the, this is the kicker. Who is responsible ultimately for the success or the failure of the child? Is it the school, the parents the socioeconomic status of the area they live in, the primary school, their, you know, the, the teacher. Yeah. But when it ultimately comes down to it, we are the ones in the firing line. Yeah. That's the key point I'm making here is that all these external constraints, you could be the most enthusiastic, you could do everything right, you could be the best teacher in the world ever. Yeah. You could be the best football manager in the world ever. But if you don't have the, the funding, the resources, the buildings, the, the setup, the external constraints, the attendance policy, the SLT support, all those things working with you. You yeah. could be pulling one direction, but all these other things could be pulling against you. Somebody will walk up to me and say, why are those kids not achieved? And you're going, um, because those kids have not achieved. So, 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 what, so why what, is the, what is the answer? Yeah, I yeah. have to have the answer. Why, why do I have the answer these children not achieved? Yeah. It's, that's, on, that's got to be on a whole collective group of people, isn't it's, it? But, but who can feed that back to the wider community then? Should it be the governors? Should it be the SLT? Should it be the head teacher himself or the CEO of a trust? I mean, I mean, where, where does the pressure come from to say, because I, I didn't really hear it. I mean, maybe it does happen. We just don't know, do we? I don't hear a lot of, in the media of a head teacher saying, you know, we've got tr we've got an issue with public transport or we've got an issue with I, health or we've got an issue with... Um, well, I, I wouldn't be for a head teacher for all the money in the world yeah. because they, they have all those external constraints to deal with. Mm. And how frustrating it must be when they've got budgeting constraints, staffing constraints. Mm. 
how the and the advice coming from government to <laughs> to the second yeah, yeah. January yeah, yeah. as they go back to school, I, you know, and and I just read one of my news articles. I, to, be, to be fair, I think what's happening with head teachers now is they're not waiting for the government or the department to make any so because they can't, can they? They can't be because there's been no no proper um, guidance for such a long time. News story this week: head teachers are breaking down in tears, suffering migraines, and even passing out at six and ten, admitting they have considered changing jobs in the past year because of increased levels of stress. The National Association of Head Teachers Union says school leaders are before considering leaving the profession. Fewer and fewer middle leaders are aspiring to take on the job because they see how punishing it is. Paul Whitten, NHT General Secretary, told the Observer newspaper. Um, the anger is even despair is heading into our members right now and unprecedented. School leaders are telling me they cannot continue to run their schools in the current circumstances. The annual survey of well-being of school staff in England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland by the Charity Education Support found stress had reached epidemic proportion among the heads, with 87% of senior leaders saying they'd experienced poor mental health as a result of their work, and 58% saying they've actively sought to change the jobs. Mm. Now, there sometimes a good head teacher is screening the staff members, from the phone calls, from the challenging parents. And this, you have to open any local newspaper, schools, the school's haircut policy, the school's policy on this, the school's policy on that. We are literally getting that absolutely rounded on. Yeah. All you got to do is, for clickbait, is go to the local press and say, my child's not getting the education. This school has failed my child. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This school yeah. has failed your child. Yeah. And I'm at the point sometimes where I go on, I go on, I do, I do it, I'm sorry, I do it. I go on and go, sorry, but hold on a second, you are accusing the school of failing your child. At what stage is that your child? Mm. At what stage did you read that child a book, mm. a bedtime story, take it to a museum? Mm. At what stage did you take responsibility for your child's learning? At yeah. what stage did you then say, oh, my child goes to school? Yeah. And that's what we saw during the pandemic but as well. What people realised, didn't yeah. they? They, they realised, oh my word, look at the primary school stuff. Yeah. Wow, look how hard these primary school teachers work to the bone. Here's the work your children do. And then all of a sudden parents are like, what? This is what our kids are doing at school. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But to, but to play devil's advocate again, we you know there are a lot of parents that just don't know how to do a lot of those things. You know, it, we, we, we live in a bubble of, yeah, we're doing we're doing it for our kids because we understand the importance of that. Truth. But you know, if you are you know, if you struggle with literacy issues yourself, or you've got mental health issues yourself, or you've got uh, you've got two jobs, six jobs, seven jobs, whatever, and you're struggling Truth. to put and you know, um remember in the area that we used to I used to work with you in, you know, there was the children were going home to aunties, uncles' houses yeah. and, you know, just getting a good night's sleep. But that's was, the externals again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's, it's, an extern, it's this externality of, you know, um, but they, they've been brought up in the X, uh, X Factor, Simon mm. Cowell kind of judging social, um, you know, stage. And, you know, they feel like, 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 like we do with the football managers, you know, everyone thinks, you now I can go to the Derby County match, yeah. you know, and I can shout for the manager to go, even though I don't really know anything about kind of football tactics. But, but you've got to blame somebody. God, it feels good, doesn't it? You've got to pin it on somebody. You've got to yeah, blame the yeah. teacher. It feels good, assist, for, it good, good for an afternoon, doesn't but, it? But, but equally, a child comes out and says, why do you not do well in the exam? You didn't give me revision. Yeah. You didn't do this for me. You didn't do that for yeah, me. Yeah. And, and you're physically going, what more do you want me to do? Do you want yeah. me to walk into that exam hall and do the exam for yeah. you? Well, I think that some teachers then try and kind of do it by yeah. numbers, don't they? And try and go and try and be kind of really obvious. 
Because I know I've done this with parents. I think people. there are some unhappy teachers out there yeah. who are shackled in the system now because they need to do things to get those children over the line. That's the point what I'm making. It's a general point. They're doing what they need to do to survive an education. Yeah. And what they're doing to survive an education is getting those exam results. Regardless of the mental health implications for themselves, regardless mm. of the mental health implications for the children, and I think that's what education started to become. It's yeah. become the exam factory of the children are a product, they're a data, and you must get these kids yeah. like you are. If you're a Premier League football match manager, you must get your 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 team to the top of the league. And if you don't, ultimately speaking, you're sacked yeah. for it. And that's what's boiling it's boiling down to. It's yeah. not the collective group of people, the parent, the child, the community, the external things. It's literally, what are you doing in the classroom that makes such a difference? And that doesn't fly with yeah. the action research done in schools yeah. about what impact we have. Yeah. But it's interesting because well, one of the interesting things, because the, the school that we've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, that kind of um, Ofsted won, high, high results, uh, didn't do so well in the recent Ofsted report mm. because of their lack of support around um, social issues, around um, um, racism, well-being, and they haven't updated themselves. Then, then, however, you know, it does. Does that not kind of um, show a positive push from Ofsted to move away from it? Because this is a school on paper mm. that flies through everything. If your child, on data-wise, if your child, if you can plonk your child yeah. in there and not and, and step back. It's like your child, your child gets a good result. You have to have the balance. Yeah. You want your children to do well. You want them to get their exam results. But you don't want them to be broken to get those exam results. Yeah. And I'm seeing far too often the staff member, the child, is broken in a system that's not fit for purpose. So that leads us nicely in. We'll, we'll conclude on that. And I think things have gone a bit too far. It is balanced. Mm. The child must accept some responsibility for their own performance. The staff member, the teacher, and the things within their control, they have to accept some responsibility for their own professional development, for the passion for the subject, for the planning, the organisation, and how they run their classroom. Absolutely. Senior member staffs have to take responsibility for making sure they put the right people in the right place to teach the right subject yeah. and the timetable. So I think it's a collective responsibility, and that's what it has to and always should be. You've got to support your head teacher, your head teacher's got to support you. Mm. You have to work together collaboratively because those relationships have to be not just with the staff, yeah. they have to be staff to student to parent. You have to be honest with parents yeah. sometimes. And I I have been honest with parents yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, there's much more I can do for your child. I've even had children say to me once, sir, I really, I let you down, I did bad in the exam, that's not on you, it's on me. The first thing, I look at the child and go, you're a child. And I use the analogy, I failed my driving test, doesn't make me a bad driver, you've had a bad day, don't worry about it. When you're older, and I've had kids contact me years later and say, you know, I didn't do well in my GCSEs. And then you see them, and they've recovered, they've done brilliant at their A-levels, and they're off doing brilliant degrees. I've seen some children recover, and that resilience of, they learn through failure. The problem is, we're not allowed any longer to fail. Yeah. Therefore, how can you learn from failure if failure is, is a bad thing? Failure can be a good thing yeah. if properly managed. I failed my 11 plus and here I am yeah. because it made me stronger. And others, it, it all depends on the rescue. We call them, in psychology, they call them rescuing factors. Yeah. In my case, it was my parents. In some people's case, it might be the teacher. In some people's case, it might be the school. You've got to have some rescuing factors around. And yes, I pity. I pity those children who haven't got those rescuing factors, mm. who have got nothing in their corner. And school should be one of the rescuing factors. The problem is you get to the best school in the country, the best teachers in the country, but if the child's heart isn't in it and they're not going to perform, you can't literally physically force them to do work, can you? That's those, it's not Victorian brickwork, is it? <laughs> oh, no, yeah, you can't do that. It's interesting that one of the points you made there when you were talking about kind of, I fell my 11 plus, but this is where I am now. I mean, do 
do children respect us? Do they look, do they look at us and do they respect, like when we make these comments, do they go, I don't really want to be you. (laughs) I mean, there's the great, um, what's the comedian that was a math teacher? Um, He does the the Nation programme. Um, Ramesh. Oh yes, yeah, Ramesh. Yes. Is it Ranganathan? Is that yeah. the, the Ranganathan? Yeah, I mean, he, he often makes a comment on one of his stand-ups of, uh, you know, I'm telling, I'm, I'm doing that big rousing speech uh, to um, get students motivated, mm-hmm. but I'm the one driving down the, down the road with a kind of second-hand car with the doors falling off, you know. And, and do they have it? Do they have any respect for for us as as individuals? And they in my eighteen it, years, I had it once with a child who says. You're a very candid individual, Mr. Poland. Mm. I mean, you could do anything. You're, you know, you're, 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 you've got brilliant vocal skills and everything else. He says, you've really underachieved. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked at this kid and I went, he says, I looked at my sister. I have two children. Yeah. I have a nice house. I, uh, I am happy with my life. My, I, am, I have a job I enjoy mm. and I'm intrinsically motivated. And I, said, I looked at him and says, do you see me come to, come, come to work? With a smile on my face. If I found a job I'm good at and I enjoy doing, and look at me and says, Yeah, would you say I'm a good teacher? He says, Yeah, you're a good teacher. He says, Will you remember me in 10 years' time? Yeah, I will remember you. You remember some of the things I've taught you? Maybe. I said, So then, do you think I've underachieved then? And I get this. I've seen this kid a couple of years later mm. and he apologized. He says, <laughs> says, Did you remember what you said to me? He says, But you're still in the same school. He goes, Still in the same school, yeah. doing the same thing. He says, How are you doing with yourself? He says, yeah, I'm doing all right. I've got my own business and everything else. He says, oh, you're achieving. Mm. I says, how'd you get your exam grades? He says, well, my exam grades were up. Actually, this, this kid was an underachieving, on paper was an underachieving kid, but he had that moxie. Mm. And the thing is, I could have responded with that moxie, like, who do you think you are? And shut him down. But then realizing that, all right, he needs guidance. He needs me to go like, all right, you arrogant little, you know what I mean? You're not going to go at me like, I'm not, because I'm, he's got, you're just a teacher. And I went, I'm just a teacher. Really? You mm. think that's something unimportant? This yeah. is, do you not know I chose to do this yeah, job? Yeah, it's interesting. And that's why I flipped it and says, I could choose to do other jobs. I choose here. I choose this school. I choose my subject. I choose to do this. Mm. And I think it's important to actually make that point sometimes. Yeah. That if you had the choice to do this, would you do this? And I mean, I see those polls sometimes and somebody around says, like, uh, if you could go back and tell yourself to go into teaching, would you go into teaching again? Well, I do the same thing. I would choose the same school and I would choose to do what I've done because yeah. I am proud of the achievements of my, my teaching career. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that to the kids. Mm. And it's not about the exam results. I'm proud when I see them go to Cambridge and Oxford from working class backgrounds. I'm proud when I've seen the, that some of the children have it. I've got kids who are now down in, in London as you know, working for the Daily Telegraph. Mm. Who, you know, I've got kids who have had learning difficulties turn around and achieve beyond their supposed envelope. Yeah. That's the key to it. Yeah. It's when you turn around and say that, well, what's the potential of that child? And I think that's what we're losing a lot now, is we're losing that potential because we have a system with shackles and shackles and shackles. Mm. And then we, we're also losing the potential of some teachers because they're also being curtailed. Mm. And then they're blamed for things outside their control and they say, I'm out of this. So I, I wonder how many of my colleagues and many of our former colleagues are sitting there saying themselves, that was me. I was hounded out of teaching because my exam results weren't yeah. great. And those exam results weren't, weren't my exam results. But do, they, do they leave teaching because of the guilt, because of the pressures put on them, because of responsibility? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't think they're good enough. So, so because the pressure's been put so much on yeah. from the students, from the parents, 
from the externalities yeah. that actually you, you, the end to think actually did some teachers then turn around and think actually this is all my fault yeah. that this child they, they feel guilty they feel they're not good enough they're not adequate enough as you say imposter syndrome mm. where they turn around and they soul search and says yeah I'm responsible for that they yeah. follow up on their story yeah. some nobody turn around and say I got that wrong I taught the wrong stuff I got that wrong oh, that class was difficult but there's the honest side of it when you get your senior management being judgy judgy going like why have your children not achieved you know like my children not cheat. I didn't realize I, re- I was rearing 30 children. They're not my children. They're somebody else's children. Yeah. I just borrowed them for a couple of, you know I mean? borrowed for a couple of hours a week. I borrow these kids for a couple of hours a week and you're holding me responsible for what they yeah, do. Yeah. I wasn't the one out at the weekend getting absolutely completely blabbered when they should have been doing their exams yeah. revision. I've given them all the exam revision in the world. Yeah. I put it on a plate and they didn't take it. What more do you want me to do? Yeah. And that's where you feel sometimes where you're like, what do you want me to do for yeah, these yeah. children? What more do you want from me? Yeah, what do you want from me? Yeah. Because the focus is always on what's the teacher doing? What's the school doing? What's the teacher doing? And that brings us into th- this age of responsibility because yeah. that's one of our news stories that, I, that, that caught my attention this week, which was this idea of um, holding a child accountable with criminal responsibility. And the age oh, yeah. is 10. That's crazy. In England. Mm. Scotland have it at 12. And we were both shocked by that, weren't we? We thought it, we thought, we thought it was older. I thought, six, I thought it was 16 or 18. Yeah, I, I thought, well, I thought it was 14 plus, to be honest with you, uh, which I thought, which I still thought would be low. Um, but when you said it's 10, I mean, that seems... Um, and the case is close to us. That it was at yeah, Rihanna Road, mm. and, and we know the area. And she was 14-year-old... Um, well, well, she wasn't first, but there was a 14-year-old yeah, boy. We should just, we'll, we'll give a warning that, 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 that some of this might be sensitive Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. But it's not the first. There's a 14-year-old schoolboy from Darlington who was the youngest person in the UK to be convicted of terror charges. So 14-year-old, and that was last year, January last year. The boy cannot be named because of his age, but he pleaded guilty to offences contrary to Section 58 of the Terrorism Act of the year 2000. He admitted possession of uh, record information likely to be used by a person committing an act of terrorism. Police said the charges related to extreme right-wing terrorism. The boy was arrested in July last year when he was 13 as part of a pre-planned intelligence-led operation from counter-terrorism. I looked at the data on counter-terrorism. It has exploded. We have an increase now during the pandemic where the kids were online of online grooming, online targeting, and online um, radicalization and of school children. The interesting story coming from that is is the... um, the young girl, uh, Rihanna Rudd, and she originally was being convicted of terrorism charges, but then they changed their mind when they looked into the background of what happened to her, realised that she'd become radicalised, and then she had um, unfortunately taken her own life. Mm. But they reclassified her as, as being a victim, as opposed to at the beginning, mm. this person is going to be convicted of terrorism charges as a child. Now, from a personal experience, and I don't mind saying this, I grew up surrounded by political violence. Yeah. I grew up in a hotbed of the troubles on the border in an area that was frequented by terrorist organizations. Mm. I knew in my local community who I could have a conversation with and who I didn't. Did I see young people being radicalized? Yeah, of course it did. It was the middle of a conflict situation. When I say that young people in places like Afghanistan and, 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 and Ukraine and Syria have similarly been, are there 100,000 child soldiers in parts of Africa? Unfortunately, children have Pol Pot. I mean, historians know this. Mm. Children were recruited by the Nazis. That mm. he made Hitler made a claim about that. Your children are mine now. He indoctrinated the young. Mm. 
He even purposely knew, get him young, get him early, and you don't have yeah, to fight yeah. them in the rotor. Yeah. He made a beeline for the youth because he knew that youth would always rebel. Mm. So he tried to turn youth to his own advantage. Yeah. We know that Pol, you know, Pol Pot did that in Vietnam, Vietnam when he, or sorry, in Cambodia, where he turned young people into killers. Mm. Kone did that in 2010 with the child soldiers in parts of the Congo. Yeah, yeah. And we saw Chairman Mao do that. But then what's the problem with that? You know, are children liable for responsible for their actions? Yeah. At what age what do age we say that a child is still a child? And at what age? And it comes back to this idea of link the two together. What stage does a child become sentient, responsible? Or do we factor in game neurodivergence? Do we factor in the social background? Do we factor in, my gosh, that child's had a terrible upbringing? Do we, do we look at the bigger picture? Yeah. Because for me, a child is not born evil. They're created in the environment and that hotbed mm-hmm. of where they are. And therefore, if you're blaming a child for being a victim, therefore you're punishing that child for something outside its control. It's that idea again of what stage can you say that that child is responsible? Yeah. And what stage is society responsible? The parents responsible? The system responsible? Yeah. The social care system responsible? Yeah. The school yeah. responsible? Well, I, th- I think kind of linked to what we're talking about today is that the, ch- the child itself is one of, you know, is it's literally the Christmas puzzle that you get, isn't it? There, there are so many interlinked pieces. Mm. Um, I think what we're saying now is that the, 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 the too much of the pieces become a teacher. Yes. Uh, and actually, what the, the, where the teacher exists is within a very complicated web of social external factors um, that some they can have contact with, yeah. some things that they're, they're not in contact with. I mean, we haven't even mentioned, for example, um, hormonal changes and, yeah. and uh, all that that goes on whilst <sighs> d- during... The adolescent d- brain and 14 yeah, getting yeah. rewired. Yeah. They d- seek out danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actively yeah. seek out danger. Yeah. Of course they seek out danger. What was I like at 14 years yeah. old? I was absolutely mad as a box of robots. <laughs> I mean, impulse. Talk about impulsivity. Yeah, yeah. They are. They are. And, but then again, do you turn around and say... Oh, they're just a teenager. They're going to behave. Yeah, you know, and that's the problem. Sometimes yeah. of you cannot. You have to have consequences. Yeah, you have to have consequences. There has to be boundaries. There has to be consequences. Yeah. And you have to teach. But them. you also have to. I mean, as you get, as you get more experience, you get to realise. For example, we've had this conversation at home, where the, at the minute there's a there's a there's the, the, the head banging in our house between my wife and my older daughter. Oh, um, <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm saying to my wife, actually. You don't need to kind of comment on that because it's just a blair. It's, yeah. it's just a moment for her, and she's probably forgotten it. Yeah. And you're now kind of analyzing, you're, you're analyzing it and thinking there's something needs to be done. But actually, it's gone for her. It's just a hormonal yeah. moment of you know. But we know this in Yeah, we know. We we get battered. We can't you can't get challenged or you can't challenge yeah. everyone for just like that that sarky comment yeah. or that moment of. Um, you know, my daughter's very good at rolling, yeah. rolling her eyes, and I don't know how many, how many, how many girls have done that to you yeah. in, in year eight and year nine of the eye roll. Fabulous, aren't they? they, 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 they mentally, my, my children mentally batter me sometimes, yeah. and, and I mean, sorry, sorry, it's a terrible choice of words, but they, they, they basically <laughs> they do, they do, they, they, they come at you. You're the worst, there, you're the worst. Yeah, this, yeah. that, I hate you, and you're like, what? I've just done everything for you. Yeah, what yeah. More? And again, it's back to this thing. Sometimes yeah. being a teacher and being a parent, you, the parallels are absolutely striking. The patience that you need, the tolerance yeah. level you need, 
the compassion that you need. Mm. It's a, it's very difficult yeah, to, it is, to yeah. sometimes do both because there was times when you go, I'm sorry, but you have to learn and I don't want to punish you, yeah. but I'm going to have to punish you yeah. because this is the way the world is. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not going to turn to a police officer and say, sorry, police yeah. officer. I wasn't doing 37. Here's the camera. Turn the camera off. So, you but, have to I mean, some rules, don't you? Yeah, but, that, that, but there's, a, there's a split sometimes in the, in, in, in the school environment Yeah, because they're, 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 there are those things that you do have to really challenge students on yeah. because of safety. Yeah. There, there, there's some moments, as you just said, impulsiveness of a teenager can sometimes mean that a, little, a, little, a little bit of a kind of yeah. they see as a push and shove can no. all of a sudden be on the edge of a staircase and, and a kind of huge problem. Which brings yeah. us nicely and neatly to online. And this is, this is again, one of our stories. So we're, we're, we're moving the thread a year mm. um, and we, we talk about um, misogyny and sexist incidents on the rise in schools due to the toxic social media influences according to education staff and charities. True. Seen an explosion of this. Before a certain individual we don't want to pluck for had reached a, a critical mass of, of mainstream media, I'd heard about this individual in schools. I yeah. had the conversation with some yeah, men. We, we, we'd already had it actually before Christmas. Exactly. Literally just before Christmas. Exactly. And, and you're going, right, how did this person reach that audience? Of course mm. they reached that audience because that's the world that our teenagers inhabit. And we are fighting the good fight. We're doing a thing. But this is the thing you always hear. is like, oh, what are they teaching them at schools? And you're like, what are they teaching in schools? We have a curriculum that's overloaded. Mm. You want us to deal with misogynistic behavior in schools? Fine. Release some subject matter. Allow us the time. Give us the funding. Give us the training. Give us a lot more resources that we need. You can't keep saying, oh, there's society's problem. What are they teaching in school? Every time there's a news story, it's like, what are they teaching in school? Let's let's teach this in school. Let's teach it. Every man and his dog wants us to teach everything from sign language to misogyny to, you think, where at what yeah. point has school got enough resources, time, yeah. or inkling, or skill set to be teaching everything about online safety? And yes, we do. But then, what's PHSE? What was what is that? It's an afterthought. Yeah, we get we get it for like forty minutes, fifty minutes. But, it's but, squeezed in, but yeah. it's it, and then you, you get. Oh, were you, you were you taught sex education at school? Were you taught about this at school? Were you taught about school? Yes and no. It's not really given. I think enough credence that it does. But then every person in society expects schools to be doing all this yeah. stuff. So how, so have we got to that point then where? We have to make a decision at some point. If if the resources aren't going to change and the complexities around children's lives are going to increase, that we do get to a point where we say a school is this. They are going to do, they are going to learn nine subjects up until the age of 16. And that is it. I mean, is, is the scope of the, the role just too big now with the lack of funding, Correct. the lack of resources? We're overloaded. Yeah. The kids are overloaded. And therefore, the most important things that we need, health and safety, yep. security. Yep. You take your Maslow hierarchy yep. of needs again. Health, welfare, food, safety. Yep. Uh, you take the most basic things that children need to flourish. Yep. Schools need to provide those. A safe environment, a, a nurturing environment, a compassionate yep. environment, a, a place where you make mistakes, yep. a place where they can achieve. If you haven't got those basics right, then you, you can't do okay, you, okay. you can't do the higher order okay, stuff. So, you don't so, do the lower okay, order okay, stuff. Let's think of big picture then quickly. We've right? got big picture in eight minutes, I know. But who would do that? Who would who would do the sex education, the uh, online safety, the pastoral stuff? If if we're just saying that school is you come in for geography lesson, you come for business lesson, and my job is purely to get the best knowledge across. And therein lies 
our judgment. Yeah. Society judges us as teachers. Of, what do they teach you teaching the schools? Mm. We're judged on exam results, aren't we? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Parents judge us on exam results. And yet, here's, here's where I sometimes have my issue. I'll turn around and say to my students, you've not signed your diary. Get your parent to sign that diary. I want that diary signed. And the, and the child looks at me and goes, I want your parent to check your diary to do their job. Yeah. And the child looks at me and goes, I'm sorry, communicate that back to your parent, please. Yeah. I want them to do their job because sure as, sure as bright light comes today, they will have, hold me accountable if my parents even go, why is my child not making progress in that subject? Mm. Well, but equally, when a person's parents sits down, yeah. parents even says, thank you very much, my child's doing really well. My first response is, no, thank you very much yeah. because you have taught your child those things that you need as a okay, parent. And it comes down to that. Whose responsibility yeah. is it? Is it our responsibility? To, is it my responsibility to teach children about being a real role model? Is that my is that my job and my responsibility to stop and say, all right, boys, here's how to be a man. Well, I, I, I don't think so, but I think that is the current expectation. But where's the guidance on that? Where's where's yeah. the funding? Where's the where's yeah, the training? Yeah, yeah. Where's somebody pulling me to one side and say, All right, Mr. Poland, I want you to teach about misogynistic behaviour. Yeah. What you get is here's a slideshow and a PowerPoint, teach the PowerPoint. You know, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa. But, but but likewise, who's helping parents? to do that I mean this this, this is the crux of the issue who's educating the people who are educating yeah. the children should we be I mean I, I've done the diary thing I mean fortunately the school that I'm currently at doesn't do the kind of diary organizer because it's such a bugbear of my life we brought it back in you brought it back in okay so maybe it's going to come back in don't but the um, is anyone actually telling the parents I mean I, I often thought this that we have these big conflicts with the child mm -hmm. and they're probably going home and the parents are probably going, oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty going to go, well, I've got time for this. And, and you know, and there's a con we're creating, we're, we're, yeah. we're basically putting the child as like a middleman yeah. in, in, a con in a conflict. But that, comes to versus... but that goes back to relationships. That comes back yeah. to responsibility. I will take responsibility for the things I believe yeah. I'm responsible for. The parent has to take responsibility for the things they're responsible for. The school has to take responsibility for the things they're responsible mm -hmm. for. Society, the government, and the problem is, as you said earlier on, is we're in a blame culture yeah. of what are they teaching? Oh, it's disgraceful. They don't get taught this at school. They don't get taught that at school. And you're yeah. like, what do you want me to yeah, do? Yeah. Say, sorry, I'm judged on this criteria, but you want me to change what I'm doing. And don't get me wrong. I think this is extremely important. I believe this is more important mm. than a lot of what I'm teaching. It is very important that yeah, we teach these young men. To, 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 and I think that is society is saying what the schools wants to do. Yeah. And government is trying because here's an interesting one. But again, I had to dig this, this story out. And it's interesting. This story was well buried somewhere in the media. And it was um, doo -doo -doo, uh, was actually coming from the ex-home um, home office minister we turn around and they want something put into the online safety bill to stop this misogynistic stuff in school. But again, that was well down the um, well down the list of things, and it was actually um, it was pretty pretty, 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 pretty Patel yeah. um, and pretty Patel urged that uh, that we, we need online safety, and and that like I said, I was quite pleased to see that because for me that is something that is very important. Oh, I've lost where it is, but it was it was a, a bill for 30, 30, 30 um, MPs in order to to try and regulate. What I think is, yeah, it's there. Um, we're we'll trying to regulate, which is the, the wide open area of, of, of the world, which is the World Wide Web. But again, we have to, as teachers, have to be one step ahead of these children. Mm. We're not. We're playing catch up. They yeah. know. And again, it's, it's emboldened in us teachers to be always constantly evolving, constantly learning. Those come back and we were saying, oh, no, no, but Harry, part of our job is yeah. to keep up to date. 
Part of our job is to keep fresh. Part of our job is to meet the needs of society. But what are we judged on? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the exam results. That's because it's a business model, isn't it? And the, the exam results is the bottom line. Yeah. Well, that was always going to be a challenging one, Brent, to try to try and cover that uh, oh. t- t- today. Um, I just want you to put your headphones on for a second, Brent, if that's okay. Yeah. I've got a bit of a, a, bit of a surprise for you today because um, this is happening. Somebody's birthday tomorrow. First day back at school, and uh, it's your birthday, I believe. Um, how do you feel about that going back into school? And your uh, I always bring it's always a uh, Christmas and birthday was always combined for me, but uh, <laughs> I always bring fruit in. It's always our convention, bring cakes or biscuits into our staff room. But my birthday being so close to Christmas and everybody doing the detox, okay, yeah. I, I always go to the shop and buy yeah. about 15 pounds worth of fresh fruit and it always gets chargering from half the staff members with them going like, where's the bake, where's the cakes and biscuits yeah. and everything else? And then, then the other half are going like, thank you, because I've just started my diet. Yeah. So yeah, I always I, it's my thing for the last 18 years, I always bring fruit into school. Yes, another year older. Uh, well, happy I'm birthday. Gonna, I'm not going to say what, what age I am. I'm, I'm starting to feel it a little bit longer now, but there, there we go. Um, <laughs> last one I want to have a little chat about. Um, Elon Musk. Here's an interesting one. Elon Musk. So Elon Musk claimed the artificial intelligence program ChatGPT um, <laughs> basically can revolutionize education and as AI, he reckons, could do away with homework. However, um, New York um, Education Board says it wants it banned. Um, and we're, we're talking about teachers over here, talking about the dangers of plagiarism and the AI into the classroom. So on the one hand, again, you've got Elon Musk saying, I can revolutionize education. I can change how we learn, how, we, how you're taught and everything else. And then on the other hand, you have people going, we need to ban this because this is plagiarism. This is cheating. And, and again, the right hand and left hand um, don't actually have what's going on. It, it's, it's it, again, we are in that world yeah. where we're trying to constantly, at the pace of things is so fast sometimes. I think the modern teacher now is having to be burnt out a lot quicker than they used to because we just have to keep going. We have to that's keep right, updating. Yeah. And, I, and I think at that stage, everybody's requiring everything of us yesterday. And I, I just like, I can return to basics sometimes. Yeah. I mean, homework is is such a controversial subject, I think, because I think there's times where I've, I've had this um, um, the parents evening this week um, that obviously I, I've, I've set homework, but what I've decided to certainly for my media class, is set homework that's a real stretch, get them to enter competitions. They're doing photography at the minute, so there's a couple of kind of Christmas and New Year. You keep sending me their history homework. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but I, I certainly, certainly look at my daughter. We, we had this conversation the other day, and, um, you, know, I, you know, obviously we've had maths on the mind state, but my daughters do a lot of the mind math stuff at the minute. And, you know, I understand why teachers are setting my maths, but sometimes it's different the way it's been taught in class and that type of thing. So there's a real danger of homework that sometimes it's homework by numbers and it's, it's teachers and staff going, well, I've set homework today. Yeah. And I, I think I, I, I've sent you a couple of geography homeworks from yeah. my daughter where I've, I've gone and my daughter's like, this isn't even the topic that we're doing at no. the minute. So it can be... It, it, it's doing something. It's yeah, doing something. You've got to yeah. be really careful with homework. But... Just, just, just on my, just on my phone, as, as kind of, um, as we just talked about the Elon Musk thing about how do we create independence, how do we create responsibility? But it's certainly not helped. Is we've just had a kind of um, an update about our local library, that potentially that the council will be closing in in March, and that then is a real kick in the teeth for teachers. That you know we, we want responsibility, we want learners, yeah. 
but where where is it that they're learning? Where, where do they go? I mean, I used to go to the library. Um, currently, I work in the centre of Birmingham, yeah. and I know that my students go and use the central library, which is a fantastic architectural building, but yeah. also great space for learning. Um, you know, these places were the places where people went to learn. If you're a small rural I'm gonna community... Back you, I'm going to back you up. Yeah. In, in my community, the library was where I went, and I only lived about seven minutes away from the library. I didn't have a desk. I shared a bedroom with my brothers. Mm. But when I went to study, I went to study at the library. Now, don't get me wrong, by the time I got to my A-levels, there was other reasons for going to the library. <laughs> there was, um, I'm not going to deny to you that the library was a place to, um, for instance, have chat chats with yeah. people of... Um, uh, uh, increase your social skills. Increase my soft skills <laughs> soft and my social skills. And, and a place to meet. The, but I did go to the library for the primary function of that. I had the books. It had the place of learning. But also, the fact that I knew if I went to a library, I couldn't... I shackled myself. It was a weird thing to do. And you go into the library, I had to force myself to study. Um, but I couldn't, if I stayed at home, I'd find 50 distractions. A bit like this, a bit like the people who work from home. Yeah. You have to think of a certain mindset to be able to work from home. I couldn't work from home because I had 50 distractions. I'm terrible at yeah, yeah. it. I'd find 50 ways to avoid doing work. Other people, yeah. more self-disciplined, more set up that way, can. The library always was a place where I could go. And closing libraries, again, I think is another one of those externals yeah, yeah. That it deprives communities, especially people who don't have that social mobility, those those um, cultural capital. So, but that's again what we're up against. We're up against a world which is 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 educating the children via without us. And we're at that point now. I think I'm at that point now. Where sometimes, what am I? I'm re-educating the children on 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 what the world is not what it is. In other words, they're getting such false information and misinformation. Part of our part of my job is not to educate them. It's kind of the uneducate and re-educate. And that sounds like somebody's going to call me, accuse me of indoctrinating kids. <laughs> but they are coming now with preconceptions and, and information overload, which then leads me to spending my time dealing with the conversations about the likes of, you know, that individual who I'm not name, who's got a platform, who's dealing with misogynistic behavior. But then where's that in my scheme of work? When somebody says to me, oh, you're behind in your scheme of work. I'm like, that's because I spent a half an hour dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therein lies the, the crux of the matter. I see it still as my job to spend a half an hour stopping my lesson and having the conversation for misogynistic behavior. And it didn't come up. But I wonder when somebody looks at my books and says, um, sorry, there's the amount of work you've done today in your exercise books. Mm. What were you doing for the other half an hour? Well, what I was doing for the other half an hour was actually more vitally important mm. and probably made more difference to that child <clears throat> than the task that I had for And that's having that ability sometimes to the support to be able to do that, but I think a lot of it now in education is just geared towards ticking the box, underlining the underlining the title, what's in your books. And I don't think that the things that we can do sometimes are unmeasurable. The impact that we have can be unmeasurable, but the problem is people are trying to measure the unmeasurable. Yep. And then what you're doing is sticking to the things that can be measured and forgetting then the things that are unmeasurable. Yep. And I think that's society saying through us one thing, the current system in schools saying something different. Last, before we go, two Thank things before you. we go. go we didn't say yes or no to maths at 18. Do you think we should be teaching maths at 18? Yes or no? Um, maths, no. Functional numeracy in some kind of guise, yes. Agreed. Which is, which is kind of what I think we've got anyway. Is that Because if I look at my subject, business of this, I, I think that 10% of that is already... Or do finance, for example, accounting. Mm. So uh, you do in geography, you do data, anyway, don't you? Oh, uh, data statistics. Yeah, we yep. talked about economics has got it in. Maths itself. Psychology. 
psychology. So there's probably only a few subjects that don't All have All the sciences yeah, do. Don't and, have, don't and if you look, the majority of children yeah. take three or four A-levels. A- 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 I'd yeah. say of those three or four A-levels, yeah. they're definitely going to have someone. And I'd, I'd agree. I'd, I'd I thought Ofqual put stuff in anyway. So, so, I, so, so, I'm, so I'm, as I said, we, we don't know what was meant. Was it just, it was, it was, it was, it was meant to be said. But what what was he actually? We don't. Again. I think two things have happened. Yeah. I think I think the media is hung upon something and misconstrued it slightly. But then that's bad communication from the prime minister yeah. because he should have had. Here's my plan. It's almost like I had an idea. Mm. Here's my idea, and you think, well, no, no, we don't want ideas in education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually would rather have. What are you going to do? What's yeah. the plan? Don't yeah. tell us the ideas. Fully costed. Yeah. Fully organised, yeah. fully done. We've had enough of these spitballed ideas, <laughs> focus groups, and you know, let's give us something we can actually do. And if his idea is to make sure that children up to the age of eighteen get some functional literacy, sorry, numeracy, and they have in each subject that they teach have an aspect that like we do a GCSE. You have to, you know, you have to put numeracy in. I have to get numeracy into history. That's fine. I don't mind that. See, you know, literacy. But I find it a really strange hill to die on hmm. because I would have went for the literacy more than the numeracy, to be honest. I would have went for yeah. both. But maybe we could have this conversation. Which uh, one? Another, another, another day around. Do we have the left brain on one yeah, side, the yeah, right brain on the other side. Well, we do because we had this. Sorry, we're going way over here. I've, uh, you know, sorry to the guys that teach at Talk Radio. We, we, if, if another show is program, because we're just we're, we're running out. We are going to get to our. Uh, if you if you load up the, the sponsors and stuff, I'll just kind of. Just give you this story. We we went to um, last night. My, one my younger daughter came down, um, petrified because my my other daughter decided to just before bed tell her the um, the possibility of a black hole uh, in the universe. Now, mathematical elder daughter finds it fascinating as a as a mathematical <laughs> scientific conundrum. My more creative English right uh, brain right brain freaked out. <laughs> what? There's nothing on the other side. How can how can someone with um, huge imagination suddenly process nothing and yet come from the same household, yep. same parents, same environmental yep. upbringing, and yep. yet that's the natural? I mean, that's the thing. I, I sit between both. I can go right brain and left brain. Yep. That's why I, I started yep. as a geographer. I'm, yep. like, I'm more towards the right brain now, yep. but I do understand the general gist of what he was trying to say. We want kids to have better numeracy, and and, and mathematics is important, absolutely, especially in the world of, of we're living in now with algorithms and, yep. and many other things. But for me, we used to do this in PHSE. Yep. All those years ago, when I used to be in charge of PHSE, about 2009, 2010, the mathematics uh, departments had to have functional numeracy. They, sh- they used to teach percentage. I don't know what happened between 2010 and now, but they used to be a strong part of the yeah. maths curriculum. Well, let, 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 about financial capability. Let's come back to it. Let's get some maths experts with us. Well, so financial capability, yeah, I think, yeah. is important. Okay. But anyway, right. So, so um, let's get the guys couple paid, things. paid from teaching. Oh, yes. <laughs> Couple of things. We are sponsored by John Cat, and I've had a look at some of their absolute catalog, and there's some fantastic books in there. Yeah, yeah um, really worth a look at John John Cat Publishing. Uh, and again, you know, one of the things that Hattie says is to make sure your professional development yeah, is yeah. up to date. So you can keep your professional development up to date by going to John Hattie Publishing. And uh, John Hattie Publishing is our sponsor at the moment. We also would like some of you to step up if you could and do what we're doing. Yeah. Become a presenter because that's one of the things about Teacher Talk Radio. It is run by teachers for teachers who are all different backgrounds as well. And we teachers obviously uh, buy into this because that's what we're intrinsically motivated to do. We like doing this and we enjoy doing this. So you could join us as well and you could also be a guest. So if if you're interested in some of the topics, you can sign up to be a guest in Teachers Talk Radio. You can also sign up to be a host, a co-host like ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
and, and equally we are always looking for new presenters. So um, John Cadigation gives us uh, this uh, sponsor and they are publishers of guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward thinking schools and beyond. So please check them out and you'll visit them at johncatbookshop.com and explore the fun range, some cracking titles for your CPD. So please check that out. You can also listen to this as a download and we have a full roster today of, of another couple of shows coming up as well. Um, and you can listen to any of our shows on Teachers Talk Radio and you can download them on where you get your downloads from. So thank you for your for your I'm sorry for running over, Never. but you know, this is what happens when two 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 mates <laughs> get to the fat and educate. There was actually a lot of five or six things that I could have talked about. Um which we'll yeah, try. Ninety two slides you got there. I've got 92 slides of, of <laughs> could go on. Maybe we should do like an extra slice. Or oh, an, man, I, an, I could go all, I could go all day. I mean, you just put 50p in the slot. I'm like, okay. I'm like meatloafs. Remember, I used to, I would do anything for loaf. Mm. I used to stick that in the jukebox, right? I used to put that in the jukebox because I'd get 50p, right? And I could get five songs on that on the yeah. jukebox. And it lasted nine minutes, 37 seconds long. I would have a full hour of I would do anything. Right, I'm going to cut him off. Happy, right. happy, new, happy, year, new, happy new, year. new Year, everyone. See, see, see you next Sunday. Live from Derbyshire, this is The Sunday Lunch Show with Brent Poland. And you are listening live. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.